Welcome to the Complicated by Choices podcast. The perfect complement to my weekly Substack newsletter that delves into a diverse range of social and personal topics through my original art, photography, and writing. Join me, David Coupland, as I seek to gain a deeper understanding of humanity through the choices we make. In each episode, I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life to explore the unique ways in which each of us approaches decision-making, both practically and emotionally. We'll uncover the why behind their choices, and all going well, I hope we can all learn something new and gain a fresh perspective on our own decision-making process. Head over to www.davidcoupland.com for more information on the podcast and the newsletter. My guest today is Amethysta Herrick. After a career in science and tech, working as a chemist, a professor, a software engineer, and a software manager, Amy pivoted to become a full-time writer, focusing on her transgender experience with a particular focus on exploring the nature of origin and identity. She's been through a hell of a lot of life-changing decisions, big ones at that, um, and I, for one, am very curious about hearing uh, a lot more about them, um, uh, especially all the the recent transitions in your whole in your life. Um, so, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Amy and uh, and lovely to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to be with me here today, and and I'd love to hear some more. Well, thank you, David. I I appreciate your invitation. This is um, actually the first real interview that I've done. So, you know, hopefully that um, I, I I felt I felt a connection. So that's that's why I'm here. So. You wanted sort of a the quick overview of my life is what uh... what what I would what I'd love is is what you want to share like what what's what's important to you over your lifetime over the recent life whatever it is that you think is 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 the part that you want to share with the audience that's really going to give them a sense of who you are. All right. So I was actually writing in my journal yesterday, and I may even publish this to to something like LinkedIn, but it's. Since I made this switch, a career change to writing full time, I, I the, originally I thought, wow, I was almost apologetic about it because I had gone through a PhD in chemistry, which you know was was a significant significant amount of effort uh, and time, and then I I switched over to software development completely. Then I went back to chemistry. Then I was back in software. I was a manager, and. Switching over to writing, I thought, you know, gosh, I just I sh- could probably stand to to choose a path and stick to it. But it struck me as I was writing yesterday, when I was a when I was a kid, I was all about science. I mean, what I learned what I learned as a graduate student as a chemist was the ability to to do research, the ability to to think through, um, you know, to decompose a problem into into smaller elements. And that actually served me very well as a software developer, because that's that's a lot of what the software development process is, is finding out what the problem is, finding out how it should be, um, you know, how it should be put together and then doing it. So I, I went more from a from a theoretical standpoint as a scientist into an implementation, um, you know, more into implementation as a as a developer. But um, you know, th- there was a there was a, a follow. You know, there was there was an actual path there between the two. Going into management, because I was still very technical. I was uh, managing software development teams. What I ended up doing is sort of abstracting the idea of implementation to plugging people together to get the implementation completed. 
which again seems sort of a natural progression of you know doing the implementation myself to you know now now trying to put together the people but that putting together again came from you know skills that I learned as a chemist so when I switched over into writing I thought well I'm throwing this all out entirely but I really didn't I mean what I ended up doing was assembling my own identity and then other aspects of philosophy and psychology to to try to plug people together so so the research still played in there the ability to solve problems identify problems what what the problem really meant and you know how to acquire the data whether the data was appropriate and then you know an aspect of, of humanity in there it's it's all still the same thing now i did have to you know write, scientific writing is a little bit different from writing you know for the public but um but but it's actually all sort of been been a, a natural progression of of my life from scientist through software to writer so so that's been interesting uh, and so so you you said when you were a kid science was always at the forefront of your mind and you were you were very curious about that was writing ever in the mix there or or is that something that you've kind of you found interesting much later you know when i the quick answer is no in fact the long answer is no as well i um i'm trying to remember exactly when this was i, I think it was at the beginning of 2021 i had one no i know it was it, it was like new year's eve of of um 2020 i guess going into new year uh 2021 i had a, an idea for a story and and i it was just a funny story that i thought boy that really that would be really comic and i thought i'm going to tell this to my friends and then i started thinking about it i thought well i can't tell this story without first establishing characters an antagonist um you know various other there were parts that i wanted to put into the story that i thought well if that doesn't have a backstory you know it, it won't make sense so i ended up writing smaller pieces so like a character introduction and then an, an antagonist like i said and just building this up it actually took um i think about five months worth of publishing stories Two, two times a week, I'd say. I think it was about 35 or 35 to 40 stories in. Mm. Not big ones, you know, 1,500 words, maybe, something like that, um, before I actually told that one story. But in doing so, I went, wow, I love this. I, you know, I really love storytelling that I didn't... I mean, when I was 10 or 12, I know, trying to remember when Dungeons & Dragons came out. It was 1975 or six. And I I got a, a basic set when I was 10 or 12, so early 80s. And I thought, gosh, this would be so great. But I really didn't have the confidence to to tell the stories on my own. And so telling, writing these these small stories, so making it very episodic, gave me this this confidence. Because when I got to this 35th story or 40th, whatever, and I finally told the story I wanted to tell, January 1st of 2021, I, I was like, wow, I'm like a storyteller, you know. And so now actually I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons with with a with a group um online. And so so, you know, that's that's been, you know, a, just a remarkable outlet for me. Mm -hmm. But when I was young, no, I I was I always thought I didn't have a creative, I didn't have a creative element to me. Mm-hmm. 
and so okay so you didn't think you had a creative element to you um uh i'll share from my experience for me um uh i when i was a kid i loved drawing i loved stories and i loved writing but then um you know uh life is life and, and you kind of fall into certain roles um in your mm-hmm. child very quickly and then as you grow up you kind of you maintain those roles and especially as you get into the workforce and whatnot and you have a career and you should be doing this and this and this is what you should be doing next and so forth I got lost in in that idea, um, and 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 for most of my life, I kind of pushed down that creative urge, that that or, or belief that I had any talent or or any kind of any stories to tell or anything worth anyone would find worth listening to. It took me until the last eight months, honestly, to really kind of you know let that out of me and kind of find that confidence that it sounds like you found mm-hmm. in that one story uh, at the beginning of January twenty twenty one. One of the biggest catalysts for me, and, and there were several, I have to say, but one of them, like I think a lot of people, was the pandemic. So do, the question, I guess, is do you know how much do you think that pandemic impacted that kind of, or gave you the opportunity to look at your life and think, actually, I'm I'm missing something here. I'm not something. I'm not fulfilled in the way I feel like I should be. Um, how much do you think the pandemic played a part in that? As as far as. So, so there was a tremendous part. When, I, when we first started talking, I said, you know, I had been recording music since 1993 or so, 92, 93. And then I just told you I never thought I had a creative element, which I recognize seems somewhat and there's an odd just, juxtaposition. So it, part, part of, I want to explain that a little bit because part of what I've always thought was that kind of I don't deserve to be creative. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, you know, being creative is not for me. Now, the question you asked me was how much the pandemic affected that. Uh, I started work for a company because it was a tremendous amount, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's a little convoluted. I started work um, for a company in, in 2019. No, sorry, in 2020. So I started work for this company in 2020, and this company was 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 really only successful because of the pandemic. Now, I want to talk about exactly what the company did because I don't want to identify it. But that, you know, the company was a startup and it was trying to do all kinds of great stuff. And and we really struggled. You know, part part of of part of what I did ended up being probably 80 hour weeks over the course of um it was about a year and a half that I worked there. So it was you know, a very stressful situation. But what that forced me to do is sort of, it it forced me to confront a lot of aspects about myself. Chief among them was my own self-worth. I, I allowed, I allowed myself to get into that situation. And so it, it forced me, you know, being in that situation and really just kind of breaking down. It wasn't a kind of at the end of 2019, I had a you know fairly major breakdown, and I went to I went to the hospital for the fifth time in my life. Mm-hmm. I did get sent home that day, though, so I consider that progress at the very least. But at the end of 2019, my wife said, "Listen, I think you need to address the last aspect of your mental health, which is your gender." And I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't worked for this company that. Had, had had me working so hard um really out of necessity because there just there was not enough people to there were not enough people to do the job and 
the show must go on, as it were. At least that's my that's my um, motto, for, for better or for worse. So, so yes, it did end up sort of inspiring me to get into into you know to start considering my own gender, which led to opening up my creativity. So, I said it was convoluted. Hopefully, that wasn't too convoluted, but. All, all makes sense and obviously we have very different experiences but there's a lot that that resonates there and 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 uh, uh you know i can i can mirror in in lots of ways um but you say i guess you say uh, you your so your motto is the show must go on so so having come to this realization um you know and going through a gender transition over the last few years do you think there's an element that was like you had been putting a show on your whole life Right. And, and kind of, and, and you kind of came to this pivotal moment where though it's your motto is like, okay, the show must go on, but now it's different. It's a different show now. Like, is, is, is that fair to say? Like, it's a different mentality. It's a different kind of life you're seeking now. Do you mean as a writer? I mean, I guess as a person overall, right. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and you, I mean, you, you transition gender and career and, and like, I mean, career is, is huge for anyone, right. When anyone does it, but, transitioning in gender i can't imagine you know how how intricate and and complex that must be um so i guess any more you can shed on that kind of because uh, again I, I can't even imagine like the mental um tennis you're playing with with that kind of uh thought process and decision and and kind of learning about yourself and as you understand who you are and 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 you know leaning into that with uh in in a world which while there's a lot more um openness to to that those kind of you know those those um experiences for for want of a better word um it's i can't imagine how scary a prospect that must be so and you kind of feel comfortable sharing on that would be great so so you you had asked regarding the show must go on i have always thought it's an interesting i have an interesting dynamic when i was a manager i always encouraged people to take vacation i encouraged them to rest because you must rest if you if you're going to work, if you're going to work um, effectively, you, you must. But I never deserved that. I was never allowed to to have those moments. I, and I, do, I mean, this is something I'm only really, I mean, honestly, in about the last three, four weeks that I'm starting to understand that, you know, this has been an obstacle for me. In the last, so my gender transition actually started last January, uh, sorry, July of 2022. So it's been ten, a little, little, not quite 10 months. I think it's not quite 10 months, maybe not quite 11. I was a chemist, not a mathematician. <laughs> so I guess it's 11, almost 11. So when I was, um, when I began that, I had these really huge cognitive changes. And, and probably the, the biggest one was that I started feeling emotions and that was a huge thing. I was able to feel pain. I was able to feel happiness, which I realized, you know, there may be people listening who go, really? Like everybody feels pain and happiness, but the the quality had changed. Like I actually started feeling something and it was at that moment. And this was maybe two weeks of hormone therapy, honestly, not very long. Um, after maybe two weeks, I, I thought to myself, I've got to I've got to share this. You know, there were so many, the, my behavior changed. My interactions with people changed. Um, so so that was part of what, what inspired me. I mean, it was part, partly the catalyst 
to to change careers. You had mentioned the the idea of um, you know the intricacies, and and it's it's interesting. I I meet sort of two different types of people in the transgender community. The the first are people who who go, well, I went to a psychologist, and the psychologist diagnosed me with gender dysphoria. And so now I guess I got to do something about it. And then the the other group, and I don't I don't disparage that. Um, I'm I'm not trying to anyway, because the second group is is like I am, and and generally it was by four years old, five years old, you're looking down at yourself and going, well, that's odd. The people I relate to don't look like I do, mm-hmm. and then you hit puberty, and it's very extremely confusing. One of the things I recognized like seriously in the last three days is that I never had like an acceptance, a phase where I needed to accept my gender. It always just made sense to me. I have a, a feminine bit to me. I have a woman bit to me. And so I think my my transition has been very simple in in relative terms. Uh, you know, it's been relatively simple because I haven't had to grapple with, you know, guilt and shame. Many people feel a lot of guilt and shame because their parents don't like it or whatever. And the only thing I ever experienced was, well, I can't transition now. And and to go back to a recurring theme, I don't deserve it. I'm not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... So there, I guess, you know, to, to try to sum up that bit of my life, um, while the creative aspect uh, grew out of, um, you know, because I started transitioning, I think it was always there latent. It, it was establishing a sense of self-worth first, you know, mm-hmm. that that I do deserve certain things. I wow. do, I do, you know, I, I am allowed to to be who I am. So I, I, th- I think I'll, I think I'll end with that. That no, gem of wisdom. That's that's uh, it's. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, uh, you said you, you kind of learned stuff in the last few weeks. Well, um, one of the things I've learned in the last few weeks about myself, and it's been a huge revelation for me. Um, it's I guess it's something I've, I've known for a long time, but I, I couldn't really. I didn't have the tools to really process it in the right way to have a, an effect on me. Um, and and the awareness is that ninety um, percent of my anxiety. Uh, is around other people and it's about uh, like feeling responsible for other people's happiness oh and, yes right and uh, yeah so so you know, it looks like you're resonating with that right away like that that awareness for me um kind of and, and really processing that and thinking and, and and being able to very quickly tag it to actions in my life uh, as soon as i did this wonderful weight came off and and mm-hmm. since then i just it, everything has felt so much lighter and and i and i and i'm not thinking about other people and, and and what obviously i'm considerate and conscientious and caring and supportive and loving but not not to the detriment of myself and and so so kind of based on what you just said it feels like you've had a similar experience in that regard as well where you kind of you you you're you're focusing more on your happiness as opposed to other people's yes um i still struggle with that i mean i still I still ride myself very hard. Um, you know, I had mentioned 80 hour weeks at this, at this last job. That was not really just that last job. That was really a very consistent pattern over, you know, a 25 year career was, you know, work, work myself to death. And, and then, you know, I fall down and, and I, I have a migraine for, 
a weekend and then I'm, you know, feel terrible for a week, but then I'm back at work and you know, just right back at it. So I am still kind of struggling with that. I'm, I mean, you, you nodded there. I think you I think you might've had a similar experience. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to value myself better. One of the tools that I started using, I'm reading a, a book now, a Julia Cameron book. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the artist's way. Mm-hmm. One of the tools in it is is the artist date, and it it kind of blew my mind. I read the the chapter about this, and I'm like, so you go and you just sit for a while. What good does this do, you know, for anybody? What is this doing for you? Because you could be working. Right. But I made a comment, I don't know, 10 minutes ago about how you must have rest in order for your work to be effective. Mm-hmm. And it was going on these artist dates and just sitting at a coffee shop reading a reading a Sailor Moon manga. There you go. There's an insight into my life um, <laughs> that I realized, no, this is it. I mean, this is part of work that that the rest is part of work. So I am still struggling with it and I'm I'm trying to get better. Um, but yes, the anxiety around pleasing other people, you know, making sure other people had what they needed. So, you know, that, so that the show goes on, you know, as it were, um, that was a huge component of, of, of my personality. It still is. Uh, although, although I'm trying to address that. Right. Um, absolutely. I've had a similar experience, um, especially with the work stuff. Like I'll give one example of, uh, I did a movie, um, one time where uh, we actually only filmed for a couple of weeks and I was on the job for six months, but those two weeks I was working kind of 20, 22 hour days, Ooh. two weeks straight. It was mind bogglingly insane, but you just do it right. Cause it's just, it's the job and you signed up for it and whatnot. And uh, that's certainly been one of my um, recent, I, I guess uh, I've, I've, I've taken responsibility for like making the choice to do it and choosing not to do it anymore right that's not you know they're not it's not the life i want to lead before yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have as much choice i wasn't in a position to do that and um and now i'm i'm in a better position because i have the experience but also because i now have the tools to pivot to the to where i want to go with it um which right. it, it sounds as well like you, you are very much in that in that place as well which is lovely to see yeah the there was um I, just to play off of something you said, there was a, a cartoon, and I I don't even know where it was. I know I watched it on Saturday mornings when I was pretty young, probably younger than 10. And the cartoon was called Super Chicken. I, I don't know much. I can't remember much more about it. But there was one bit. So there was, there was a chicken hero. Bear with me on this. Sorry. But, so you had a chicken hero, and he had a lion sidekick you know like you do right so super chicken and then there was fred and almost in every single episode something would happen to fred run down by a bus you know the the boulder falls on him i don't whatever you got in a cartoon and fred would go gosh this is really terrible and super chicken would go well fred you knew the job was dangerous when you took it and that's that's kind of the I like that was very formative when I was a child. What you just described, I thought, yeah, I mean, yeah, you work twenty, twenty two hours. Well, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. And and I applied that to myself. I mean, obviously to my detriment. You know, it was foolish of me to continue doing that. And yet I always went back to that. 
I go, well, okay, I worked 20 hours and, and I have to get back up to, to work in two. But I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. So it's okay, I guess is how I looked at it. Right. And it isn't, you know, to anybody listening, it's not okay. You know, the job may have been dangerous, but you don't deserve to have a boulder dropped on you. Don't, don't listen to super chicken kids. Absolutely. I, I completely, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's funny. It's, um, uh, it's one of the earliest things I realized when I started working professionally in the film and TV industry was, was that mentality that, that, you know, you, the, as you said, the show must go on and you do anything you can and you, mm -hmm. and I did it for 15 years and, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't regret doing it. I had, a, I had an incredible time, by the way, and, and I and I learned so much, and I, I worked on some amazing stuff with incredible people, and it's just I couldn't be more more grateful for it. Um, but um, but in hindsight, yeah, it's it's you know our lives have been abused just by the mm -hmm. the, the culture and the cycle of it. But um, even on my first movie, I I realized very quickly that this was the the nature of things. And I, 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 then I made a decision, um, which was, okay, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to roll with it because it's what I want to do. I'm so excited and passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in a position to, to act on it and to change the culture and to change the environment, I'll take every opportunity I can to do that. Um, and, and that's where it, it feels like not just my, you know, uh, myself, I guess there's, there's so many people now with that same mentality. Um, which is a wonderful thing, and we're in a real moment of transition. And and though I think we've got a long way to go, um, you know, um, my, minds are changing. Like the world is changing, mm -hmm. and I think you, uh, you know, Gen Z is is really helping with that as well. Like they're they're kind of coming in, and they're like, Nah, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. That's just that just right. sounds crazy. That's just ridiculous. And um, um, so it, it's heading in the right direction, but we've got we've got a long way to go. And um, but that said, all of that, um. You know, you've you've spent a career doing all that stuff, but now you've pivoted to something that you you enjoy, that you really uh, want to do, and you love to do. And um, I mean, how how different is your life because of it? You know, you said you kind of really started feeling your emotions. Like, do you feel wildly more happy? Do you feel wildly more comfortable in your life? Like, can can you give us a sense of that? I think the best way to describe it. Forgive me, I'm going to give like a math. I said I wasn't a mathematician, and then I'm going to give like this math. If you imagine, um, if you imagine like a sine wave, uh, there's a root mean square of the sine wave that's point something. See, this is where I'm not the mathematician. I think it's point seven one seven, but maybe I'm wrong. So that that is an average of where the sine wave, um, you know, the value of a sine wave. So. If I think about my life before I started gender transition and then after I um, uh, completed, sorry, before I, I uh, changed career, it's like the, the sine wave was huge. You know, let's say, you know, went up from, you know, zero to two and then back down to negative two. And so so my in in general, my emotions were very dramatic. You know, if I if I was happy, which was, you know, atypical. But, but if I did have an up day, it was really, really up. And then the next day would be really, really low. So what I think gender transition in particular did for me was, first of all, make the the um, the sine wave smaller. I mean, I have fewer extremes. And then I think it also moved overall um, the sine wave up. I, I don't I don't want to go back and like 
because I said positive two to negative two. I think I would probably say it was more like a positive one to a negative three. So, you know, my point being that it moved it up so that I, ha I have more contentment. I think mm -hmm. that's the best word to use. Mm -hmm. I have more equanimity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to, I'm able to manage things better. I, I still have had, you know, periods of disappointment, periods of depression, periods of sadness. And my psychologist, every time I bring these up and I go, gosh, I thought it was so much better. And she goes, well, how long did this last? And I say, yeah, I felt kind of down at, you know, overnight. And then I woke up and did stuff. And she goes, so you used to have a migraine for a weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, does this sound better? And I go, well, okay. I mean, yes, that sounds better. So forgive me. There was another, another part of the question that, that you asked me to what, what, uh, I mean, uh, overall, it's better, but yeah, no, that that was the general emphasis of it was really just kind of how you're you're kind of feeling day to day. You know, if, if you're like, if you feel more fulfilled, you feel more comfortable mm -hmm. in yourself, and and more joy, I guess, in life with these transitions. Right. So now, regarding fulfillment, I had a conversation with a with a friend of mine, a co previous uh, coworker. In fact, at this company, the the last company that I worked for, where I um where I ended up to, you know, realizing I had to make major changes uh, re regarding self-worth. I had a conversation with him, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, kind of, kind of immaterial. But he said to me, because I mean, I had 25 years in software and I enjoyed it. Um, or at least I thought that there was, that there was great reward. And so he said, well, gosh, don't you miss it? And I said, well, you know, I spent many years doing software and I think I was good at it and you know we did some good software and that's nice um in particular you know we, we let co drunk college students you know do something on a Friday night and and I guess there's there's an aspect of niceness to that but in the meantime so, you know since I changed careers now that I've been a writer and I created a, a discord server around gender identity I met somebody won't say her name, but I met somebody who came, came into this Discord server and said, "Look, I I don't really belong here, but you know, I'm just I'm just kind of looking around." And then in a couple of weeks, said, "Well, I, I started some hormones, but I'm really, I'm I'm really. It's not like it's going to stick, right?" And then after you know a certain amount of time, said, "Oh, you know, actually, I feel great on on hormones. I you know I I or on on estrogen therapy." you know, I'm going to continue this. And then relatively soon after that said, I think I've chosen a name. You know, I think I'm going to call myself such and such. And I went, well, that's seeming to become a bit more permanent. And then the name change became legal. And then, you know, went to the Social Security Administration, all that, took care of all that. And, you know, now this person is actually, is actually transitioning gender, found, I don't want to say found her true identity, certainly developed her true identity. And so I look at those two and I pitched this to my friend, you know, to, to this previous coworker. I said, so drunk college students on a Friday night, helping somebody, you know, or watching somebody, because um, I don't know how much I played into that, but watching somebody truly find herself and begin to live, you know, like an authentic and a fulfilled life. And my friend goes, yeah, I guess I can see that, you know, 
screw, screw the drunk college students, right? I mean, being able to not only to to um, to see other people sort of figure out who they are, I've really been able to to explore who I am, and and that's led into you know just so much more than I ever expected to uh, it, it to go. When I started writing, you know, it was almost like the it was almost like the way I was writing fiction, you know, a year, whatever, a year and a half previous. I started with this idea that I said, oh, I've got to tell this story. And then I went, oh, dang, I got to you know, to make a bunch of backstory. And it took about six months worth of writing on Medium before finally I went, oh, well, here is my point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that point is a pretty good one, you know, that that if we know who we are and we know why we are who we are, we feel much better about ourselves. And there's actually actual clinical research. I mean, it, it dates back to the 1960s, but there's actual clinical research that when you feel better about yourself, you you are much more accepting of other people. You know, and I'm sure there are a lot of deeper aspects to that. But my point being that exploring an, our, our identity not just makes a, us better, but it makes a, the rest of the world better, the, the a better universe. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I don't really care. I don't really care about um, the drunk college kids. You know, at this um, point, I'm like, you, you, go get drunk and go go do what you do, right? I've got the universe to make better. Thank you. Um, I loved all that, and uh, I completely agree. Um, self discovery and self awareness is is uh, something that I've learned a lot about in the last several years, and um, without it, I wouldn't be where I am now, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, the joy for now and be doing the things I'm doing now and I wouldn't be able to help other people in the way I, I am able to now and then and, and that even comes down to um, the core uh, communication and and how you show up and and, how, and your tone and, and your you know your action yeah. no it just understanding yourself is uh, I think the greatest uh, my greatest ambition um, and because the more you understand about yourself uh, uh, the more um, you can you can adjust and uh, focus your life in in ways that that bolster your strengths, but improve your weaknesses and and right. and um, support those weaknesses. And, and again, also kind of help you show up for yourself every day more, and for the rest of the world as well in the way that you you want to, and that, the way that makes you feel good. Um, and and uh, for me, um, I'm in a huge phase of learning in my life in the last several years, and and um, the the learning about myself has, has been at the center of all of that, you know, and I, I have this um, general belief that, you know, to kind of understand anything, you need to understand all the things that feed into it. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, yourself is, is a huge part of that. And um, uh, there's a whole lot to unpack with every single one of us. And it's funny, I was talking to someone recently um, uh, about therapy and, and, and they were, there was a moment where they were um, for the first time, like, Oh, you know, I could maybe, do with some therapy in this moment i kind of i'm a bit confused and struggling and and then uh they they resolved uh that by in the end saying actually no therapy self-indulgent you know i i'm fine i you know i've got a job i'm healthy and i have a you know whatever i'm happy and i can deal with stuff and um so you know obviously we had a a longer conversation about it and and kind of changing the perspective that it's it's not a self-indulgent it's like every every single one of us has a, a life that we've lived and there's not a single person on this planet that goes through it without loss and suffering and pain and trauma and and all of these things. And so um, I guess this is a general PSA that 
that no one is is um you know doesn't deserve to have therapy and and i would encourage anyone and everyone even if you think you're in the best place of your life i guarantee you can be in a better place um the more you get to know yourself yeah no i i stand stand right next to you on that Mm -hmm. there's a i was a book i was reading recently that that trauma doesn't trauma doesn't come doesn't necessarily come from like it doesn't have to be really traumatic i'm trying to figure out how to how to pitch this well and i'm not coming up with it but it doesn't take like a major traumatic episode to you know to require for it not to be processed well i guess is the point you know if you i've got an example and hopefully my son never hears this but if he does i'm sorry that i did this <laughs> uh it was like just last it was the last night i don't know recently he pulled something off of one of my bookshelves and there's a book that's really small next to it so he's trying to put it back up there and it's it's you know it's not going because there's a smaller book next to it and i went oh, uh, look just no just get out of the way all right look i'll get it don't worry and he goes i'm sorry and i went it's, it's not a big deal just you know look small book huh, whatever that was that was like potentially trauma uh, you know that's a that's a bit of trauma cuz what he got was a parent who was not being nurturing. And I feel terrible about that. I actually, maybe I should talk to him. <laughs> maybe I should talk to him and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry I did that. Maybe it'll, it'll, you know, maybe it would help. But like even silly, you know, something that seems silly like that is not. I, I mean, there there are aspects of our lives that, that we, that reinforce bad beliefs about ourselves and they they seem innocuous, but they are not. You know, you'll get this. It's it's a you know, like a like a leech. You know that that goes further into your leg. You know, and and sooner or later you go. Now I can't. Where'd the leech go? I can't even get it out. I just see a scar. Um, how do I get the leech out? So it it is. I stand with you completely. Even if you think you don't need therapy, I'll bet you ten bucks you do. Like I'm, it's almost absolutely. You know. 100% chance it could be beneficial so yeah and I'll agree you you actually give a, a really good example because it it is something so that can seem so innocuous and so simple um but it, it creates habits and it creates fear and mm-hmm. it creates, as you say it creates trauma and and uh, you know just for on a, on a grander scale let's say there's a, there's a kid who's an extrovert and and a, and a parent who's an introvert and when that kid's being lively and and energetic the the introvert parent um, scolds them for it and, and tells them right. to be quiet and, and they then spend the, you know, the rest of their life kind of dealing with that. But the other thing about uh, kids versus adults and, and why trauma is, is so much more prominent, of course, is that when we're kids, we, we don't have the experience or the tools to, to understand these things and to process mm-hmm. them. Whereas, you know, if, if, that, if you did that to, you, to your wife, um, she would understand it in a different way and she wouldn't take it as, as hard. But as right. a kid... You know, we don't know any better, and and so these things can really go in deep, and and of course, um, they often never get processed unless you go through therapy, and and when you do right. process them, though, it can open up doorways to things that you couldn't possibly imagine, and and ways absolutely you that you couldn't possibly imagine before. The, there was one more bef- before I stop talking about that. There was one more thing. It, it was in March. It was actually right near my birthday. Um, my my son. Because it's just just an example of 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 long lived trauma, 
there there was some my my son was doing something I don't even know he was excited and so maybe he jumped maybe he shouted maybe or something and those kinds of things trigger me I mean a very a very obvious my childhood was not good I won't I won't give you the whole backstory there but I I get triggered by loud noises very easily like it frightens me and and it's it's I'm 53 you know it took that long for me to recognize what that is is fright so so in any event he made some loud noise whatever it was jumped whatever and I and I said look can you just calm down a little bit and his face kind of fell and he sat down started messing with something and then I was triggered even further and I went into my room and I and I you know for what it's worth fell into um these psychotic episodes that I get and it lasted like 36 hours I mean all he did was jump and then I responded to it but I mean it was a it was a whole chain this causal chain of of trauma that it's like well I don't even like I don't even know what happened there but I first I was frightened and then I, and then I just fell into a pit and like that you know that's obviously something I could stand to uh to process you know whatever it is and and for what it's worth you know since since I've already recommended everybody else go and go out and get therapy I am also uh looking for for EMDR therapy I'm not I don't know your familiarity with that um it sounds like this miracle drug kind of thing, this eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I think it's called, or I think is the what it stands for. It sounds like this miracle drug and seems to work like a champ. If you address the very bottom level of trauma, mm-hmm. as you said, it opens all these doors that you go, well, I didn't look, I can live a normal life, normal, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it's a, uh, I feel like I feel like I, lo- I lost uh, you know a good climax to to give there, but you know the the idea of going into therapy, if you think if you think it's it's not right for you, you know you're all, you're probably one hundred percent wrong. Oh, I do remember there was a last thing I was going to say on that. We have this concept. There is this this concept at least in Western society. Let me actually say at least in in what I have experienced of United States society. We have this concept that if you're if you if you show any weakness, then you, your whole life is over. You know this, and I think this contributes. We have these these um, role models. Elon Musk is a great one. You know, he's I I think that's kind of a great example of toxic masculinity. Donald Trump is another phenomenal uh, example of you know these are two people that if they show weakness we're just going to love it right because this is western society says we're supposed to act like that and um i think all that does is contribute to continuing trauma continuing you know just it's the death of the self mm-hmm. not to not to believe that that there's ups and downs you know that that there's pain and then there's joy so That'll, that'll be the last thing I say. I'm sorry, Western society, but you're kind of toxic. No, as I said earlier, it's um, no one in life escapes trauma, suffering, pain. You know, there's a lot of joy, um, but there is a lot of all the other stuff too. And and um, and the, the sad reality is, you know, we're we're not uh, taught off, really taught how to deal with that stuff. And I see one of my big beliefs about the period we're going through now is I feel like we're at the start of the emotional revolution. 
uh, where, where as a species, we're really starting to understand our minds more than we ever have um, and, and the spectrum um, of them. And, and it, to me, that's a very exciting prospect because um, while I think there's going to be more trouble ahead in, in lots of different ways, I think that overall um, the awareness we're building around ourselves is going to be really, really um, important and, and helpful to, to, towards the future um, as time mm-hmm. goes on. So, um, but look, we, we, um, it's funny when we, before we, before we, when we were emailed a few weeks ago, you said, I, I couldn't imagine anyone being interested in talking to me for that long, but we were only supposed to talk for 10 minutes, about 15 minutes about this, but we're 40 minutes in and it's been so interesting to me. So thank you for, for thank sharing you. that. But, but let's, um, for our audience, um, I, I kind of, uh, I think as you know me by now, I like to tell stories and I wanted to kind of bring a bit more of a story element to my podcast. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of experimenting a bit with Amy today. And and, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of throw Amy into a, into a, uh, a situation and and then kind of to, to, to walk her through this this journey, I guess, and, and see what choices she makes and see where that leads us. And, and there isn't necessarily a, a big conclusion to it. I'm just kind of getting a sense of, of you know what choices you would make and 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 what you know in my head what I would make and hopefully for the audience you know what what choices you would make in in similar situations. So, um, but without further ado, I'm I'm actually going to throw you into kind of a, a post-apocalyptic world. Um, we're going to keep it simple but big on scale. And um, for you, you have just woken up in an abandoned building. You've got no memory of how you got there. You know who you are, but you've got no memory of how you got there. Um, and and on the side next to you, there's just a, a little note that just says "survive." What do you do next? Well, I'll tell you flat out. So, <laughs> when you use the word "survive," the first thing I did in, in my in my stomach, I, I got kind of a clenching. Um, one of the one of the kind of big aspects of my life has been a fear of survival. Um. I've not had trouble considering my own death and and I've never worried whether or not I died. That's changed more recently. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in an abandoned building, the first thing I do, so I'm gonna say the there would be a distinct there would be a different answer a year ago. Because mm-hmm. like a year ago I would have said, What do I do? Die. Just jump out the window. How far, how high up am I? But I, I think you know today. Thinking about myself today, I want to explore. Um, what do I see in the room? Is there anything else in the room with me? Uh, let, let's. It's it's an apartment building, and so they're just general things you'd find in a normal apartment. But obviously, oh, I'm going to say at this point, you know, it's it's kind of uh, the the apocalypse has happened, right? And and, and things have been, everyone's been around and, and kind of taken a lot of the stuff and there's no one else around as far as you can see. You're looking out the windows, there's no one else around, it's just you. So you've kind of got a piece together. You know, you're, you're hungry, right? You've just woken mm-hmm. up, no idea um, when you last had a meal, um, again, or how you got there or what you've experienced to get there. So that's the general situation. All right. And as I look out the window, I'm seeing... I mean, post-apocalyptic landscape. And and know what you don't see anyone else around at this point, right? It's kind of, it's clearly, you know, there's, there's cars crashed. There's, there's things that have been burnt Mm -hmm. down and and it's kind of, it's, it's chaos or it was chaos out there. It's kind of like the quiet after the chaos. Okay. Um, do I possess any weapons? Have a look around, I guess. Okay. 
I mean, if that's what you, you'd be searching for a weapon, I guess, is that your answer? You I think thing? so. Okay. Yeah, I think the first thing I would want to do is see, you know, can I find a weapon? Can I find tools? Uh, you know, what, what do I, what do I have? What do I have at my disposal to, to help survive? Um, well, when you said, oh, is that, is that what you do is look for weapons? I immediately went, well, not really, because I don't, weapons, I don't want to harm, harm other people. I guess it's what. What's your priority, right? Is it? Is it okay? I need. I need to eat food. I need to go and find weapons. I need to. What are you thinking about? That's that's the biggest danger to you, I guess, in that situation, right? That's going to spur you on to the next thing, whether it's to find food or if it's to find other people or mm -hmm. if it's to find weapons, whatever it might be. Honestly, I think what I'd want to do is find other people, mm -hmm. um, and it, that's an interesting. It's interesting that I'm that I'm coming up with that because because I tend to be very introverted. That being said, you're in a post-apocalyptic landscape. You know, it's it's going to take. I think it's going to take help. You know, um, as far as far as weapons go, I I don't like. I would not want to. If somebody came up to me and said, "Look, you you've got clothes and I don't. I'm just going to you know shiv you in the back." I would just give that person clothes. You know, I don't I don't want to. I don't enjoy conflict. So, so this is already, you know, it's a difficult situation for me. Very, um, I think I would, I would, I would, uh, favor looking for people. I would, would, you know, probably shout through the, the apartment building. Is there anybody else? Um, you know, maybe walk around listening, listening for probably what I would do honestly is listen for other people. Cause I, you know, I, I would be afraid that, I don't know if you ever played a fallout game. But there are always these shambling, you know, it's like a hand coming out of the head kind of monsters. You know, I'd be worried one of those shambling monsters would be coming at me. So, so I think I would probably walk through, I will walk through the apartment building looking for somebody, somebody else. Okay. So, so, you, so you've walked out of the apartment building, you've got a, a rolling pin in your back pocket, which is the best weapon you found just in case. And um, you kind of come across a supermarket that still has some stuff on the shelves and, and you know you're obviously looking for people, but at this point there's an opportunity for food as well. But uh, as you're as you're kind of approaching it, um, and you're kind of you know you're listening for people and not hearing any, you call out for people, and um, and when you do, you actually alert uh, yourself to the presence of a pack of wolves. And at this point, you kind of you know you can go and try and get in the store because you know you need food. You don't know when you're going to get a meal next time. Um, or you can just choose to not risk that and kind of run away and, and try something else and you get away from the wolves as, mm -hmm. as, as possible. And and the wolves are between me and the store? Yeah, to get to the store, you've really got to at least, at least maneuver around them or find a way to get around them to get there, um, or you've mm -hmm. got to go the other way. I assume the glass the glass windows of the store are broken? Uh, you've got a rolling pin. You, you can find a way in. Well, no, I bring that up because it's, you know, would the wolves be able to follow me into the store? That's what I would wonder about. Because if I could run past them mm -hmm. to get in, I would, if especially if, you know, doors closed, if I could close doors or whatever to um to get in. I, th I would seek safety is the mm -hmm. point. I, if looking looking at wolves, um, you know, I try to seek safety. I could go back into the apartment, but, uh, you know, if I'm hungry... I'm going to go for the supermarket and, and that's, you know, it's interesting. I guess that's a basic survival that, that now that I think about it, 
I said I don't like conflict, but I would certainly risk the wolves to to get to a supermarket for a couple of reasons. I'm like the thought that goes through my head. I mean, first of all, if I'm hungry, other people will be too. And that will be a good place to meet somebody, even if I were just, you know, sitting there because I could conceivably help other people get to into the store so I could start building a building a group, you know, who can probably survive, possibly survive better. Um, okay. Um, uh, so let's so let's say um, you have uh, you got into the uh, store, and uh, you you know you get some food, which is great. You make it past the walls, um, but when you're in there, you do encounter someone else, which is which is what you're hoping for. Right. Um, but but you can't shake off the feeling that this person you just met is shady. And actually, you know, your instinct is saying you shouldn't trust them. But obviously, as you just said, your kind of your your desire is to to kind of congregate yourself with people for kind of safety in numbers and support. But there's this niggling feeling that this person isn't really, you know, what someone to trust. Um, and, and bear in mind, you know, again, you're in this world where you don't see anyone else around. Like this is this is really everyone is in their desperate throes of survival. Um, how do you navigate that situation? What, what do you think you're going to be doing there? There was a piece of wisdom I learned early on in, in my career that you don't have to be friends with the, with the people you work with. You just need to get the job done. There's some truth to that. Um, and even if I don't trust, um, I'm going to call this person Jim because every, every NPC is Jim to me. So, But even if I don't trust Jim, I believe that, that Jim knows we're going to survive better working together. Now I'm going to keep a good close eye on Jim because, you know, I don't want to be shivved in the back. Um, so I will say that much. You know, I don't I don't know what interactions we would have, but uh, I, I would keep an eye on Jim. I will trust him. He, here's an aspect of me. I trust people until they harm me, and then I generally trust them again. And then at that point I go, okay, you've you've had your two chances. So... So I'd wait and see what what Jim what Jim, you know, did. Uh, okay, and then and then Jim, who um, you're gonna wait and see see what he did. But let's say he's saying to you, okay, look here, I tell you what, I, I was just on a scavenging mission. I've got a group of people um, who uh, you know we've got a little base. Um, but again, you're not really trusting this guy. So, mm. so while um, up until this point, you're like, okay, look, I'll, I'll be cautious, and if if he tries to harm me, then um, I'm out, right? Um, um, but let's say you have that fear, you have that caution in mind, but then then Jim tries to lead you to Jim's friends, where you'll be, you know, you'll be outnumbered, you'll be in an environment you don't know again because again, you've just woken up, you've got no idea what's going on. Um, how do you feel about that? In this situation, I mean, it's it's post post apocalyptic. There, there's some, you know, there's a certain aspect where I would go, well, yeah, we're all trying to survive. And I think I would still believe people know it's better, it's better to trust each other, e- even, even if, um, you know, sort of a passing trust, a cautious trust. So, I mean, I would, I would go with Jim again. It's, you know, I would, I would want to keep, um, I would want to keep my, my eyes open. You know, I, I would certainly Try to be aware, you know, does something go wrong? But I got, I mean, I still, maybe it's a basic trust in humanity. 
mm-hmm. you know, that I think people are inherently good and that they're going to say, well, you know, the, the more of us, the better chance we're all going to survive. Now, I would say if Jim said, come on, let's go meet my friends, I would certainly say, well, are we going to take any food with us? And if he goes, no, 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 it's not important. I think that would be sort of a tip off that maybe Jim's not on the level. But if we load our arms, you know, whatever, grocery bags, and if it's post-apocalyptic, I won't even have to pay 10 cents per bag, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's a perk of of the post-apocalyptic world. You no longer have to pay for grocery bags. But if we took like a, a bag of groceries for the, you know, each, you know, in each hand as we, as we went there, I think that would help me uh, feel more trusting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, well uh, um, in this situation, your optimism and, and uh, belief that, that humanity is good has kind of paid off and, and Jim's brought you to this kind of new little society, um, which, which is uh, kind of, you know, a group of people that, that does think alike, that, that, uh, that um, wants to, that thinks working together is, is their best opportunity for survival. Um, um, uh, but after, um, I guess as, t- as time goes by and you ingratiate yourself in the community, um, you know, which starts off maybe as five or six of you and, and within a few months might be up to about 30 of you. And at mm-hmm. this point, um, you know, leadership uh, becomes more prominent, right? Whereas before it can be kind of a more of a, a smaller group, democratic kind of, you know, what do we do here? How do we help? You know, who goes, does this? Who does that? Who takes that responsibility? Suddenly you've got tens of people who are, are all scared um are all um uh, struggling in their own way um and and they're kind of looking for that guidance right they're looking for that leadership um to to guide them through um and at the same time they're also looking for a leader to to um manage disputes right which which kind of will come up and and for example um resources the supermarket is relatively depleted and there isn't much else around so this group that you've got which is suddenly growing in people um, the, the food is dwindling a lot quicker and there's a dispute arising where um, some of the group think that they deserve more of the food because they're contributing more to the survival of the group whereas the others aren't doing as much like h- how do you how do you manage that um let, let me answer to the the first question first re- regarding leadership when you have 10 people, I think it's it's easy to slip into like a utilitarian mm-hmm. standpoint. And this leads into, you know, where, 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 you know, the second half of what you had told me. It's easy to slip into this utilitarian standpoint where you, where you go, well, these people are going and fighting off wolves, whatever, whatever they would feel they deserve more. But, but good leadership you know, good leadership implies having a group that works together and that understands a common goal is more important than you know, individual gain. And I realize that sounds vaguely altruistic, although I I think that that's sort of the point of a of a of a democratic republic, for lack of a better choice of words. There. Um. So so regarding leadership, I mean, when you get to about ten people you already have difficulty i mean as a manager i mean at the biggest group i at the biggest group i had like directly reporting to me was 15 or so people and it was about 15 people which was entirely it was entirely too many people um i needed to to break up the leadership 
you know, in some way, there's there we had so we had, you know, a, a person who was sort of the head of, you know, n- not like a formal title, but you know, this was sort of the head software engineer in, in this in you know on this part of it, and a head engineer on on another part of it. So, regarding leadership, we'd have to. By the time you got to thirty people, you would have had to have done something like that, and then it becomes honestly a republic, you know, of, of sorts. And and you know, hopefully those groups can can choose their own choose their own leaders there. To get to the next part of that, because um, I realized I've just you know rewritten a constitution. Yay! Um, there there needs to have been discussion. I think it's very easy to get people into a group and let them be, let them remain there and not, and they don't fit in. And I think it's important for everybody to be aligned with a, with a direction to say, I understand the purpose of this group is to go a direction. Um, so I think we have a lot of conflict today that, that's, that's around that. So to answer your question, forgive me for, you know, going on about politics. Um, what I would cho- what I would choose to do there was, I mean, assuming that 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 the the initial five had said, you know, amethyst to go be our leader here, I would have I would have tried to to organize subgroups that that were not too large, so that at some point, um, you know, leadership became a a, a collective, mm-hmm. you know, leadership became more than just one person. Um, now your harder question is: There are people who contribute more than others. This is why a common goal is important. Um, there's no doubt that's difficult to pull off. I, I don't have a good answer there. I mean, that would take actual discussion, you know, with people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, the two of the bigger themes you, uh, you I'm going to pull out of there. One is the common goal, which I actually, I actually really like, it, and it's because it's. It's a, it's a brand message, right? It's it's what is what is our purpose, and right. as the group of thirty people, our purpose is survival, and and the ambition of the group is to do that together. Um, um, so uh, I I I like the emphasis on that because it um it, it, it it's a it's a reframing of people's minds as as opposed to thinking individually. It, mm-hmm. it becomes about the group. So so um, I actually think you did answer the second part of my question partly. Just with the ideal, um, because I think that would that would uh, sway a lot of people in in its own way, um, and then then you've built this on the foundation of of organizing the groups and and kind of um, creating a democracy of sorts, and and also I think that's can be very helpful. But okay, so so um, as we kind of get to the end, that you know you've done very well on this journey, so we get to the end of it um, because of your great leadership and kind of and resolving these problems when there's these thirty people. Um, you know, you you become more of a, a leader in the community, and people look to you for guidance and your kind of ideals about how you know. Now that you've established um, a pretty safe space for all of you, and it continues to grow, and you're kind of starting to build a new community in your position because of of the influence you've had over the group, you get to decide on laws and customs mm-hmm. and ethos about the community. And and I guess um, I kind of want to finish this little this little uh, little fun little adventure. Um, Kind of what kind of society do you want to build from the ground up? You know, you, you know, you, you've spoken of uh, uh, different ways about dem- democracy and pol- politics and 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 that kind of uh, the constitution you've referenced a couple of times. This is your opportunity to kind of start at it anew with a new mentality. And, and you know, you had this kind of uh, 
community uh, group mentality just you just mentioned, and I like that. Um, um, but so I guess from there, what kind of society do you want to build? What kind of what kind of world do you want to build from the ground up in that regard? Um, un- unfortunately, I'm going to give you the the answer. I don't. Um, <laughs> there was. I read, I, I reread, I mean, I read Jonathan Livingston Siegel when I was, I don't know, eight. It's pretty young. I reread Jonathan Livingston Siegel last week, maybe the week before. And it struck me. Have you, you've read the book? No. Presumably? Okay. It's no. very thin. And, and it really, it talks about one person or one seagull who learns to fly exceptionally well and gets ostracized because seagull, you know, seagulls go, well, we're just supposed to eat. You don't need to fly. You need to be able to fly so that you can get to what you need to eat and then fly back. And Jonathan says, but that's not, you know, that's, you miss out on so much of life. Why would you only want that? So he tries to teach them. They go, you're an idiot. And so he, he goes off on his own and learns to fly really well to the point where he gets elevated to this status. Um, he kind of goes to heaven of sorts where he learns to fly really exceptionally well. And, uh, then another seagull says to him, well, what are you, what are you going to do? And Jonathan says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and show these people, you know, cause now he's a, a, attained like, you know, Christ-like kind of, kind of flying ability. And so he goes back and he shows others you know, he's just flying around and sooner or later people, uh, people, seagulls notice and say, wow, look at that seagull. And so he acquires, you know, sort of this following of, of seagulls who also choose to fly and they all end up sort of doing the exact same thing where, um, there is still an ostracization. Sure. There is still an ostracization of that particular group, Jonathan's group with this sort of, you know, stayed, um, you know, fundamentalist, we are seagulls, we eat uh, group. And at some point, Jonathan says, oh, well, you know, I've attained my purpose in the universe because he's now trained, you know, somebody, seagulls to carry on. And so he sort of fades away. There's the, there was a, a part for, and that was the end of the original book published in 1970. <laughs> there was a, a part four that the author, whose name now escapes me, wrote that, that, um, that he ended up putting into the book. So it's a new edition of the book. In part four, Jonathan ends up becoming a day, really a deity. I mean, where the, after he's gone, everybody, all of the followers, like the next generation down, um, they see him as a God. And so the, the, the group shifts from wanting to fly to only de- uh, deifying Jonathan, and that's their purpose. They, they don't even fly anymore at all. They just sit down there and they worship at these shrines of Jonathan. So now to get back to the point, um, you know, I I don't I don't like having I don't like having that kind of power and influence. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's a stupid thing to say, being on a podcast where I'm like, I hope I gain some power and influence. Uh, you know, in some gen- well influence anyway, but but power is a frightening thing to me. I think power should frighten all of us. the The ability to decide how people should interact is is a huge one. And so, if if I you know, in terms of 
what ultimately I would do now that I've taken 10 minutes to get here, what I would do is honestly, I would want to leave it, you know, I'd want to leave it to, to the people being governed after, you know, after a fashion, Mm -hmm. um, there are things I, you know, I think it's really clear. There are aspects of the United States uh, declaration of independence and later the constitution that need some revisions to, to make sure that they, that they reflect a more modern society we are actually very hesitant to do that. You know, there's a recalcitrance that is very deeply embedded because we go, well, gosh, that was like Thomas Jefferson. He's become like our, our God. You know, there's this, this, you know, cult of Jefferson, cult of Washington, I guess not Washington, sorry, cult of people who, who wrote some of these, um, these documents, who wrote these documents. And as a result, we don't change them. And so, you know, one of the things that I guess if if I were going to do anything to build a new society, it would be how do we make sure that we can change with time? I don't want to be that person who who holds the power. It it frightens me be, because people's lives could be on the line, and so I would always want the ability for or I would want those being governed always to have the ability to go, we're done with your leadership. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gone. So did that answer that at all? Well, actually, uh, it's a, you're I think, cause you, you don't expect it, but actually you gave a really good answer right at the end of it. And you, your buildup was actually perfect. And, and what I'm going to pull away from that is you, you want to set up a society that is, uh, is willing to change. And and that's I think is one of the the more difficult aspects of our current society, and that's worldwide. It's, we, we're so you know we, we're digging our heels in um, uh, into tradition and and the way things have done, the way things have been thought about, and, and oh, it worked before, it's going to work now. No, that's right. it's not the reality, and 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 a huge part of uh, the problem with with us as individuals, let alone as a society, is is often that, that unwillingness to change and and to that that lack of ability to be adaptable um to change and um so i really like that that that's your answer is is you kind of want to build uh an environment where while we we these this is what we need to do now this is what we need to focus on now but with the understanding that ch- the situation will change and just because we're saying this now doesn't mean it can't change and it's, mm-hmm. it's like um uh, i'll adapt it to to science right like uh, uh people who argue against science um, they say, oh, well, look, they said it was this thing. And then five years later, they said it was this thing. And right. they, they argue about it as if it's a it's a, a fault with science and actually it's or a bug. Right. And and actually it's a feature like the <laughs> science is wonderful because you learn stuff and then you continue to learn. And when you when you've learned something new, you update your thinking about it and, right. and you broaden right. weight. And so but society doesn't work that way. Um, and, and, and attacking science is a great example of that, whereas it's, it's seen as a, as a bug rather than a feature. But mm-hmm. that is, to me, I agree. That's, that's where, like, I, I, uh, I would never want to be a world leader. Um, God, no, that sounds awful. Um, but, but if I were ever in that position, I, I, I'd like to think I would, I would think in the same way as you is, you know, do what is best for the situation in that moment, but really just kind of have that underlying change will happen. And, mm-hmm. and the key for all of us, as well as dealing with the problems we have in front of us right now, is being being ready to deal with change and being real, ready to deal with with what that brings. Right. It it struck me as I as as you were summing it up, the 
so I started in the software field in 1998, and 2001 there was something called the Agile Manifesto signed, and and you know I'm not doesn't have to go into a whole lot of of detail here. The Agile methodologies, the intent is that you learn about you learn about what you're making by starting to make it. So you you can never get to like this this um, static set of requirements, really, because you start doing the requirements and then you look at it and you go, oh, gosh, now that was stupid. Why do we think that? And so you change it. But that's why you have, I mean, they, it's considered an iterative process because you do a small amount. And when you've done that small amount, you you analyze it, you, you know, you, you, um, uh, you know, check it, that, that it, that it fits. And, and the, the direction of a piece of software can change dramatically over, you know, the original concept to where you got six months later, because you're learning about it. You're learning about the concept as you're doing it. And so I've always been very passionate about, passionate about agile methodologies because you just never will know everything, mm-hmm. and and you tend, as you said, um, you learn one thing, and then you learn something else, and you go, "That this is great." Now we can revise our current bad understanding of something and make something better. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, what I, what I would, what I wish, you know, was that uh, you know the society would have baked into it the idea of agile methodologies. Mm-hmm. So, leave you with my software engineering um, career. You know, on on that, right? Um, um, I, 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 this has been great. Um, this has been it's been really, really uh, lovely to talk to you and and hear about your life and and your, um, your choices, which is obviously one of the focuses for me. Um, and and uh, thank you for kind of having a little bit of fun with the, the apocalyptic world as well. Um, it, you know, uh, the, I think the fun thing about doing those things is it's really going to um give me a lot of surprising answers that I would never imagine people would give me, right? Because I don't think in, in the same way. And, and as much as you, you know, I, I try and um, be, be cognizant of, of how other people are feeling and thinking, it's obviously impossible to look in someone's mind. So I, I'm, uh, thank you for kind of being the first to, to try that with me. Um, and it was, it was really fun and insightful. And I hope you enjoyed that part too. I did. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I was honored you know that that you talked to me thank you thank you again yeah no thank you and um and i'll make sure in the uh we'll, we'll kind of share your your links and stuff as well in the um uh in the post um but is there any you want to want to throw in here now for people to kind of get you know follow you and get a sense of what you're up to um, um wow great question so i do have a Substack publication uh named amethysta dings and then i'm, I'm also on medium which is just at amethysta well, um, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of curious people out there, so I'm sure you'll get some people checking it out. So um, thank you again. This is this has really been wonderful um, and it's been lovely to meet you. Thank you.